Would you stand with me to honor God's word? If you have your Bibles, uh, we're in Luke chapter 2, so you can turn to chapter 2 and look down to verse 8 or scroll down to verse 8. We'll read through verse 20. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for you and for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, were with, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them, the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, please add a a blessing to the reading of your word that's uh, beyond our familiarities, that's beyond our uh, Christmas traditions, uh, that's beyond anything that would, uh, would be near to us or nearer to us, beyond my opinions or anyone's opinions or thoughts. Add your blessing to it. Lord, we thank you that you are more glorious than we can understand, than we can process, uh, than we can fully experience, any less ponder or consider fully. One tiny glimpse of your glory shatters all of our distractions and anxieties. So come with your glory and bring everlasting peace to your people. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again to the Springs, beloved family. My name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor. Uh, if you're here visiting, uh, thank you especially to you and, and, and this, this new Christmas season for us, new church for some of you, and I, I do want to thank you for that, for coming to a new place. Uh, we are in our last week of our Hark series. Uh, we're learning, especially from the first few chapters of Luke, uh, about people who hearkened the message, the message of God 
in and around the first Noel, the first Christmas. Uh, my first Christmas that I was really aware of was in 1997. I was 14 years old. Before that, I didn't know God. I, Christmas to me was just a time where I had a little bit more time off of school to, to fool around with girls and manipulate people and, and uh, do things that were uh, less than quality things, do religious hypocrite things. And uh, I was also forced to go to church a little extra uh, by my Catholic parents. That was what Christmas was to me. And then I came to know Jesus through a campus ministry that preached the gospel to me. And Christmas since that time has been mysterious and mighty and full of peace. Uh, and then it, it changed a little more. And 11 years after that, in 2008, we had at the start of December our first child, our baby Hadassah. And the, the glory of the promise of God even in a small child, even in that realm, was amazing to me. And it helped me to consider even more the coming of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, in the form of a baby. So knowing this, here's how I want to break down how this was made known to a bunch of shepherds in a field and break down our passage from today. I want to go back through our passage and I want to teach through it. And as I do, I want us to zero in and really consider three things. The message that's given here, the message, the messengers, and the manger. The message, the messengers, and the manger. First of all, the message. I think the heart of our passage, uh, the content that I want to really bear out and shed some light on, uh, is, is really the, the message of the Bible. It's the message of the good news of all of history and what this is all written about. And I see it especially displayed in verse 11 and verse 14. So verse 11, I'm going to slow down and read back through it. For unto you, this angel says to these shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. These 19 words are full of so much richness and meaning and promise fulfillment that if you read too fast and you get too familiar with it, you'll miss the amazing mystery of it all. So we're going to slow down a little bit. The first words start with, For unto you, or to you, a child is born. This carried with it the rich fulfillment of the promise of the, the famous prophecy from Isaiah 9 that was given so, over 700 years before this thing happened, this thing that has happened that the shepherds called it. For to you a child is born, hearkens back to Isaiah 9, starting with verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light shone. And it bears that out. What does that mean? Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, or the government is on his shoulder. Remember, the shoulder of this baby. The name... His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, remember, a baby, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This word of peace is important in the Christmas message for us. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it in peace and also says in justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then 700 years later, this promise given is, is now a bold promise fulfilled by the zeal of the Lord and a message reminded to these shepherds in a dark field at night through a baby. Remember, this, this, this huge promise of worldwide redemption and peace hinges on this verse, for to us a child is born. It hinges on the hope found in a little baby, a special little baby. And this promise that was treasured by a whole nation of people is first directly applied to a few shepherds in the field. And no longer is it for to us a child is born. These angels say, for to you this day a child is born. This is amazing. And verse 11 goes on. For to you is born this day. Church, you need to know and you need to battle to trust that it was a real day, a sure day that this happened. It was a real day. Uh, you can see verse 2, Quirinius was the governor. It was, it was a recorded day. It was a verifiable day. It was a real day. It wasn't back in the day like our modern uh, hypothetical phrase. It wasn't once upon a time. It wasn't long ago in a galaxy far, far away, kind of relating to that movie that some of you wasted money on this weekend. I heard it wasn't that good, but I'm probably not going to find out. No spoilers. This is different because this, this is a real day. This is a real day. A day around which the calendar of all the nations since have hinged. This is day zero. This is a big day, and rightly so. A very real day. This is something we need to know. I say this very uh, boldly, not just because people out there don't trust that it's a real day. Like, it's like, this is, you know, go tell the unbelievers or the humanists. No, go tell yourself. Tell your emotions that this day is a very real day. Tell your fears. Tell your anxieties about being around your family members that have harmed you. Tell your financial anxieties that this day is a very real day where a priceless gift was given. And his peace is a promise that's meant to dominate everything forever and ever and ever. It's a very real day. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. It was a real place as well as being a real time and a real day. It happened in the city of David, otherwise known as Bethlehem. Now, this also fulfills a huge promise uh, about the, the coming Messiah that was given also almost a millennia before. 
This is Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This promise, but to you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So this mysterious promise is, you, Bethlehem, a person will come out of you that will rule the world through ruling Israel. But when he comes, he is from ancient of days. Here's what this means. He is an eternal person that in one point in time is brought to a particular place, specifically Bethlehem, the city of David enters into humanity, puts on human flesh. It's the word that we use called the incarnation. That God becomes man in Jesus Christ in a certain time, certain day, a certain place. And all of this is made known to some shepherds at night in a field. It happened in Bethlehem. I've been thinking about this this week. Why did God choose... If this is supposed to be Bethlehem and this place was so important, why did God choose a virgin, which is also another important prophecy for us to know, born of a virgin, right? He chose a virgin from Nazareth, like hundreds of miles to the north. There's a very simple answer. Because he can. Because he can. He chose Mary because he wanted to. Uh, and the circumstances of her being the, being the mother of the Christ child uh, were difficult. Wait a minute, it was supposed to be born out of Bethlehem. Yeah, but, but God chose to use you. By the way, he's also conceiving a child to a virgin. So that's a pretty big thing too, right? Uh, and if God wanted to choose Mary, in God's mind is like, well, all I got to do to get her from Nazareth to you know, Bethlehem, it's real simple to me. I just make sure that the ruler of the empire taxes the whole world, and uh, you know, she'll, she'll wind up where I need her to be, because I'm God. And he's sovereign, and he can choose to do what he wants. And I, and I kind of harp on this for a minute, hoping that you can understand and have peace that God is so glorious and so sovereign that if he did that, how much more can you have peace when your circumstances some, sometimes seem to contradict the promise of God that he's made to you? When he promises you one thing and your circumstances say another thing, what's more real? Your faith will choose. I'm telling you right now, his promise is more real than your circumstances. If he can cause a virgin in Nazareth to give birth to his own son in Bethlehem to fulfill his promise... He will fulfill his promise to you. And the adventure of your joy is whether or not you'll trust him in that. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So God, born. Don't get used to that. An eternal God puts on temporal human flesh in a certain place, in a certain time. This is the promise that was, was spoken of for, through different prophets and was fulfilled. And in verse 11, they say all of this to shepherds. 
and say, this amazing thing has happened this day. It's such an amazing message of such an amazing promise that's fulfilled in such an unexpected and amazing way that it merits a response, church. When one angel spoke this glorious message of God's faithfulness and glory, it required a whole army of angels to respond with worship because this message of God's faithfulness is so much bigger than even the angels or bigger than your circumstances are mine. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 11, uh, this one messenger angel speaks. Get to the right book in the Bible here. One angel speaks. And then verse 13, then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. This message of God's faithfulness requires a response of praise. And God will get it. Verse 14 This is the next place where I see the the heart of this message. What God did and the response required the effect in the world from that point and forevermore. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We're going to cover what those last words mean towards the end of my message, the with whom he is pleased. But the heart of this message from verse 14 is glory to God and peace to his chosen people. Glory and peace. I believe that the angels were praising this. I believe that they were singing this. I wish I knew the tune. I know the Catholic uh, rendition of this, that glory to God in the highest. Anyone else? And peace to his... Come on, church! Don't be insecure. Peace to his people on earth, to his people. Okay, I'll stop. I believe it was a better song that the the host of heaven was singing. It's a song that creation sings. It's It's a song that the Bible declares God's glory and the peace to those who he redeems. The whole point of everything, first of all, is God's glory. If you know this, you need to be reminded of it. If you don't know this, you need to be reminded of it. I do. The whole point of your life, the whole point of existence, is the glory of our majestic God. It's the purpose of life. It's the reason for the season. It's the only fundamental reason that there's breath in our lungs at this very moment. It's God's glory. And God's glory specifically manifests in a very specific promise-fulfilling way among his people, is the only thing that truly, lastingly brings peace to anyone. And so here's something you need to know. If you seek God's glory, you will find his peace. If you seek God's glory, you will find his peace. Matthew 6.46, the best sermon ever preached, Jesus says, If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. The primary focus of our lives is, and purpose of our lives is to be the kingdom, the glory 
of God. And if we seek that, we'll be satisfied with it and everything else. Jesus is the only one who can simultaneously satisfy our deepest desires and then give us deeper ones because he's that glorious. If you seek his glory, you will find his peace, a peace unlike anything else that anyone else gives. If you seek his kingdom, you'll find his peace deep in your soul. All the other kinds of peace are illusory. They fade. They're circumstantial. They go away. The best peace that you can ever find without his glory is only almost peace, which is the worst kind of, tor- of torture and terror. If you seek his peace, his glory, you find his peace. But if you just seek peace, you get none of it. You're left with nothing. And this is quite literally the secret of life. His glory and our peace. All the other things that can occupy your space this holiday season. Space in your soul. They'll tend to overwhelm you. God's glory is the only thing that can overcome you and set you right. And set you at peace. It's weighty like that. Uh, It bears down and displaces all other problems. In fact, uh, in the Hebrew language, the word for glory is actually a word that also means weightiness. Think of it. In water, the, the, the water is displaced by a rock if you throw a rock in a, in a cup of water. And likewise, when God's weighty glory gets deep down in your soul and your life is no longer about your calling, it's about who he is and therefore how you are called to proclaim his excellencies, when his glory gets down in your, in your soul, the, the weightiness of who he is displaces your fears and your anxieties. And, and therefore, it's not just about trusting him for something. It's trusting him and the adventure that he gives you. His glory, then our peace. That's the basic message of this chapter, of this book, of this prayer in verse 14. That's the message. But to bear this out in a deeper way, I want to consider next the messengers. In verse 9, it says that these, this one messenger angel appears and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. Uh, the first eight or nine times I read this this week, I thought they were terrified by the angel's glory. And, and let me just tell you, an angel is terrifying in glory. But it wasn't the angel's glory that caused the shepherds that night to be terrified. Verse 9, it says, uh, the glory of the Lord shone around them. As glorious as this angel was, the message he brought was infinitely more glorious. The message of Christ coming to save the world and redeem a people for himself and gain the highest glory for himself through what he does in his Son. It was so glorious that in verse 14, the other responsorial messengers, a whole army of angels, 
verse 13, when it says uh, the host of heaven, it literally means the troops of heaven. The, the army of heaven came to make war on the enemies of God. How? They praised God. They worshiped God. Okay, so you have this message of God delivered by this one angel that Christ has been born today, the fulfillment of all hope. And this one messenger brings a message that's so infinitely glorious beyond himself that it requires a whole army of warrior angels to respond. Glory to God. Peace to people he calls to himself. Think about this for a minute. Each week, myself or another preacher stands up here and says things that are infinitely greater than me or us. We have the mysterious opportunity to preach the gospel of the risen Christ, to tell the good news that Jesus died for our sin, shed his blood so that he could reconcile us to have peace with God. It's such a great message that it requires the response of an army of saints to go out and make war. How? Through our worship. Our worship is our greatest weapon. When you're encountered with all sorts of other things from the enemy, and your life and your lips proclaim the glory of God nonetheless, nevertheless, and therefore brings peace to those that God has placed in your life and he has ordained to call to himself through your words and your message. That is when the, the world is at its equilibrium. This message is preached and it requires an army of people joining with the host of heaven and praising God, worshiping him and spreading his glory and his peace. It's more powerful than a thousand swords in your life. Glory to God in the highest. Peace to those with whom he is pleased. These messengers, the angels, brought this message of God's fulfillment of this promise. And then the glory and peace that is meant to respond to that. And in fact, the shepherds replicated the very uh, rhythm that these angels were replicating. They go back and they, they say, let's go and see this thing that's happened. And I, I have to think that they go to Bethlehem looking for this child, praising God, glorifying God, overwhelmed with his glory. And they find Joseph and Mary, verses 15 through 17. And what do they do? They bring peace. They bring peace. They, they tell Mary and Joseph, who may, maybe were uh, a little bit scared. I, I thought this was supposed to be the promise of God, but there's a baby and all we got is a little stall here. And they, th- these angels or these, these uh, shepherds come and tell them this message. And it brings peace to these people that God's called to himself. And then they go away. They returned. Verse 20 proclaiming, glorifying God, praising Him. So these shepherds join in the song of the angels, glory, peace, glory to God 
peace to people who God is calling to himself. Church, it's my privilege today, and I don't know how long, hopefully a long time, to serve as an under-shepherd in this church, to lead by the word of God. And my greatest desire is that this would be the song that we sing, that our lives sing. Glory to God, and we bring peace to one another and to those who are not yet among us, that God is drawing to himself. Glory to God, peace to his people. God did this through shepherds that were overlooked. It says in Isaiah 2, uh, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. How crazy that when this promise is fulfilled, it was literally fulfilled in the middle of night to people literally walking in darkness. People who were overlooked by their culture, cast aside as lesser than. To these people, the fulfillment of verse 6 of, of Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, a son is given. This had to be a little bit scandalous at the time, that these would be the messengers of such a glorious message. These people, undoubtedly in Israel, this promise was, was cherished and treasured. To us, a child will be born. To us, Israel. So, so likely this message will be delivered when the time comes to, to a priest in Jerusalem, not to a shepherd in Bethlehem. Church, then and now, God chooses the foolish things of the earth to shame the wise. He chose shepherds outside of Bethlehem. It's like King David. The, he was overlooked by everyone else besides God for being that ruddy shepherd a thousand years before this. That ruddy shepherd out in the field. And God, God said through Samuel that men look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He chose these messengers who... These shepherds probably tended their flock in the same fields that King David had tended his flock in. He chose these messengers to deliver this glorious message. I don't know what you're struggling with, what you're distracted by, what you're worried about. But God is calling us to join in the song of his glory and our peace. That's the message and the messengers and finally... The manger. Now, if these shepherds were overlooked people that God brings the promise through, and it's just a, a, a strange and scandalous way to save the world, then how much more shocking is how God does this all in this, his, his perfect child born and placed in a manger? This had to seem strange to them. Verse 12, the angel, the messenger angel says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So they believed what they heard, and that's why they went and they saw what they saw. Verse 16, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I need to remind you that mangers aren't typically for babies. It's for feeding animals, not for putting a human being in any less the the, the tender son of God himself. Glory to God in the highest. In the highest. And yet, in the lowest state, here you have God 
in a manger. I think this is intentionally ironic. God's highest glory is often seen in his lowest estate. I mean, what's, what's lower than a manger? Nothing. Almost. You see, this is the mystery of how Jesus comes to save the world because how he would later save the world is very consistent with how he came into it. The one thing that's lower than this place in the stable where the Christ child was laid in a wooden manger is shown 33 years later when the Christ man was hung on a wooden cross. It's very consistent. He was hung on a cross for his own glory, to show the glory of his own mercy and to bring peace to a particular kind of sinner. And that's where we have to get to the last part of verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, peace on those with whom he is pleased. What do these words mean? How can sinners please a holy God? Let that, let that sink in for a second. I, I don't want to rush this question just because I'm a few minutes over here. How can sinners please a holy and glorious God? We are unjust. I think the only way we can please a glorious God is not by trying to be just, but by being justified. Romans 5.1, here's the link between peace and faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest, in peace to those with whom he is, is pleased, peace to those who are justified by faith. How do you know if that's you? How do you know if that's you? If you believe in Jesus and nothing else. Your efforts to rectify things in your life, to make things right, to turn over a new leaf, zero faith in that. But the one who has already come lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, no stains on his soul, on his body, lived the life that you and I should have lived and yet died the death that he didn't have to die but that you and I should have died. And he died that death in our place. And on the third day he rose again from the dead to trade us our death for his life. If you believe in that alone, you can be with him today And have an increasing, soul-dominating peace forevermore. If that's you, even while I'm looking at you and you're looking at me, cry out to God. If, If you've never had that peace where you've given all of yourself, your best efforts, your worst failures, given and said, God, Make me new. If you've never placed faith 
in Jesus, then even right now, pray in your heart. Say, God, make me new. Make me new. And you can have supernatural peace that's beyond all understanding. Now, for the rest of us, for all of us in here, here's my hope. My hope is that we would make haste like the shepherds to enjoy this glory and this peace. They made haste. They, they believed what they heard and therefore they saw this glorious thing. They saw. If we would have faith in the same way, we could overwhelm all the other things and displace them with his glory. Glory to God, peace to his people. Another way of saying it is honor God, make disciples. So it's one of our taglines that we say around here. My prayer is that we as a people would seek God's glory like never before. So, so this Christmas break where you're with your family, you're with friends, that you would press into God and enjoy his glory like never before, that you would enjoy peace among those with whom he is pleased, that you would experience the peace of God in the people of God, and that in the new year we could continue to seek his glory and commit ourselves to going way out of the norm and seeking him, denying ourselves in this fast, seeking his glory and enjoying and spreading his peace strategically as we go on from there. Would you pray with me?